You are listening to the Big Blue Rock Pod, produced by the Kentucky Geological Survey at the University of Kentucky. This podcast is a fun, conversational approach to discussing all things geology and earth processes. We talk emerging ideas and research, along with classic topics in earth science for all levels of interest. Let's do the show. Hello, welcome to the Big Blue Rock Pod. I'm Matt Crawford, along with my co-host Doug Curl. Hey, Matt. Hey, and we're shaking things up today. Wow. Sarah's not here. <laughs> Sarah Arpin, our other co-host, she's doing some cool field work in Mont- Montana. Montana, yeah, yeah. yeah. Sarah's yeah. getting her PhD, and so she's doing some karst studies. It's like a month or something out yeah, there. Yeah, in a cave in Montana, which is cool. <laughs> so we have a fill-in co-host. It's uh, Rebecca Fraser. Hey. Hello, everyone. Welcome. Thanks for having me. Uh, Rebecca is the KGS Communications Officer. Um, so you deal with public relations, outreach, social media, stuff yes, like that? Yes, all the things. I, I run all four of the social media channels. Um, I like to tell everyone that I do all the non-scientific communication. Um, so if anyone ever needs like a KGS profile or if we need to write something for a magazine or an article or we have someone pop in to the KGS main office and it's like, hey, what kind of rock is this? Like, I'm sort of do all that. Plus, I try to help schedule all the media interviews. Yeah. Um, I edit this podcast. Yep. I'm trying to think of what yep. else I do. Yeah, cool. so I sort of have my hands in a lot of different places. That's awesome. You do a great job. How long have you been here? Not Six months. Yeah, not long. Yeah, not right. long. Yeah. It's yeah. been great. Uh, so welcome. Um, yeah, so today's topic is landslides. Yeah. Wow. Well, let me guess who, <laughs> who, we get who could we get as a landslide <laughs> expert? Yeah. So I'm the guest. Yeah. Matt's the guest. Yeah. yeah. So we'll hand over the the firing of questions to you all, and we'll just uh, we'll see how it goes, huh? Okay. I think I'll take the first one since it's the easiest. So, Matt, how yeah. did you begin studying landslides? <laughs> That's a great question. I'll I'll start just with a little a little bit of background before that then then get into current landslide stuff so i went to hanover college as an as an undergraduate a, a great geology department it's a small wilbur art school in hanover indiana i went to eku just down the road for a graduate school and um sort of like doug i i worked in the southern appalachians looking at complicated billion year old metamorphic rocks that was really fun i worked with Stuart farrar at eastern and we we looked at uh a lot of crazy mineral assemblages to try to extend, you know, s- certain complicated terrains in the Southern Appalachians. When I was down living in Richmond at EKU, I learned about the survey. I was like, oh, this place looks pretty, pretty sweet. It's research, but a lot of outreach and education. I'd probably like to do that. Got hir- hired as an intern. And then my first gig here at the survey was uh, with Doug in the digital mapping program. We were doing a lot of GIS digitizing maps. Yeah. So by the time you got a job with KGS, had you completed your master's program? Yes. Okay. Yeah, just completed. Uh, so then um, the digital mapping program ended, and we started this official geologic mapping program here, which was run by Drew Andrews, who's now our interim director. Um, and so when I was in the, with the surficial mapping program, uh, a couple of these quadrangles we were mapping, so surficial mapping, we're mapping everything above bedrock soils, engineering soils, unconsolidated sediments. Some of our quads were in areas where there was a lot of relief and steep slopes, so I started paying attention to landslide deposits. 
And it's like, we got to put these on the maps and these are really interesting. And who's working on these things in, in a separate capacity? And no one was. And I slowly started to figure out there weren't many people doing s stuff with landslides in the east, you know, east of the Mississippi River, say, in general at all. Mm -hmm. So I was like, I want to maybe make this my thing. That's and awesome. So it's like choose your own adventure. Kind yeah, of, yeah. yeah. I mean, awesome. I, I will say I had a lot of, of help kind of at the beginning fr from John Kiefer. Yeah, I was going to say John Kiefer um, did a little bit of work. Uh, he was our uh, associate state geologist a while back, and he was he would consider himself an engineering geologist, so he would be the, the person who would respond to a landslide uh, you know, query if we got one, but it wasn't in a research capacity, really. You know, then um, Bill, our director just left was you know really helpful in my career he he is you know a landslide expert and has done a lot and so he helps this is stuff we can get into but you know he helped helped me build a lot of, of what we're doing now drew at the time also was helpful in kind of uh, cultivating and helping me get kind of work into the landslide niche of stuff i had actually heard bill talk about you before and how he seemed very proud of sort of how you came in with your master's and you ended up going back and finishing your PhD and sort of just the whole trajectory of, of your career. Yeah, I think it's, it's been good. So when I started to do landside stuff, which started out with landside inventory, a lot of site visits, I'd just go see whatever I could. Just, you have a landside, I'll come see it. You know, just the more I saw, the more I learned. So then I figured out quickly that I did not have the appropriate background to really take this on seriously. My math background was really bad. Um, physics background was horrible. So I was like, I gotta, I gotta like get into this seriously. So decided to stay, you know, be here at survey and get a PhD. And so I did that. I worked with Sebastian Bryson. Uh, he was my advisor. He's over in civil engineering. And I did a lot with basically a kind of a multidisciplinary type of landslide monitoring project where I, I, uh, monitored subsurface hydrology of several landslides and correlated that with surface electrical resistivity measurement. So a kind of a combined like geophysics, geotechnical type of approach to characterizing landslides. Let's see if we could see if any of the geophysics could shed light on shear strength properties of landslides and what we know um, about what makes landslides, you know, slopes unstable. So I did that, finished PhD in 2018, and uh, kind of then, yeah, kind of then things took off, I think, with as far as like stuff we do with landslides here. Now we're doing, we're still doing more inventory, we're doing susceptibility and risk modeling, so we can, we can get into all that. Um, you said that you went out in the field and you would just, just look at landslides. So if you, you heard about them, you'd just go out and check them out. How did you get that information? Would members of the public call in and be like, hey, I have a landslide here, do you wanna come check this out? Would you get, like, how would you know about the landslides? Yep, cold calls from the public a lot, news news pieces online, reports from Kentucky Transportation Cabinet, maybe someone, maybe a county emergency manager is like, hey, this we got some damage at this home here. It's pretty big. Can you come take a look? So in the capacity of, you know, a state survey employee, we could, we could do that and kind of provide unbiased scientific information about what's happening, what we're seeing. So that was great. Like, just saw stuff all over the state from big slides along the Mississippi River to northern Kentucky to a lot of stuff in eastern Kentucky, of course. So, yeah, 
the more I saw in the field, just the better. I can only imagine how happy your coworkers were to have someone that like was specializing in it. <laughs> so all those phone calls they were fielding, they were like, "Wait, yeah, we got it. We got the guy. We got the guy." I mean, I, I I guess I like to think that's slowly built, you know, built into that and um, getting a lot of calls, and that's good. Yeah. yeah. So, so sort of related to that, there, there were two thi- other things I wanted to mention that I think are kind of interesting and will will be related to some stuff I want to talk about later. Uh, things I've gotten to do. Um, one is, Doug, you know about this. Um, I got to visit the Oso landslide in 2015. Yeah. The Oso landslide occurred. Oso is a, a small town in uh, northwest of Seattle, Washington. A, a devastating and tragic landslide occurred there in March of 2014. The landslide killed 43 people. And uh, it's just, you know, devastating but a year later there was a association of engineering geologists meeting that i got invited to and so it's um, just a group of landslide hazards geologists getting together to talk about that event what happened with the response what people are are doing with regards to hazard assessments across the country um, sharing best practices stuff like that lessons learned so that was great to be a part of that and it was just totally intense to see see that landslide a year after. It pretty much looked the same. This landslide obliterated like 40-something houses in a few, mm. a few seconds, basically. Anyway, the Oso landslide right, really was a catalyst to a lot of stuff that's happening nationally now with landslide work and funding and what other states are doing because it was such a big deal. Yeah, a tragedy. Absolutely. It's, a, it's the most fatal single event landslide to occur in the country ever. The second thing I got to do, with this was a few years later, this was in 2019, I got invited to, to Washington, D.C. to speak at uh, a Congressional Hazards Caucus, which kind of sounds fancy, um, but, but it's, a, it's a Senate briefing, uh, sort of like kind you see on TV. Maybe not as, as formal as that, but it's a Senate briefing in a Senate office building near the Capitol. The Congressional Hazards Caucus is part of the Hazards Caucus Alliance, uh, which was established in the early 2000s by several members of Congress to uh, show their commitment to reducing hazards and reducing risk and, and um, cutting costs and just you know a better understanding of natural hazards. So this one was hosted by Lisa Murkowski, a senator from Alaska, and uh, Senator Cantwell from Washington, all because she was, you know, dealt with the Oso slide. Anyway, um, there were three speakers got invited to this. Me, kind of representing the state perspective on stuff. Brian Collins, who is a really great geologist with USGS, and then there was a guy from uh, National Weather Service. So mm-hmm. kind of three perspectives on landslides in the Senate office building. Now we. We were speaking to uh, staffers. No, you know, huh. Bernie, Bernie yeah. Sanders, or you know, <laughs> no one showed up like that. But it was still cool. Yeah, yeah. you kind of felt like you were doing your little little piece. Yeah. So that's that's I mentioned that just because um, it's going to be related to uh, the National Landslide Reduction Act, which I'll, I can talk about later. But it's cool because, like, as you all know, like we're state survey employees. We can't be advocates for legislation specifically, mm-hmm. but we can go and talk about what we do being important mm-hmm. and um, and the data 
and the data. Yeah. And, and the need for funding. Need for funding, mm -hmm. collaboration, what states are doing, what, what uh, the USGS is doing, all those kinds of things, showcasing the, the importance of, of those relationships and providing unbiased scientific, scientific information. So that was kind of cool uh, to be in DC for that. I think you have some stuff coming. Well, maybe you'll talk about that with the, your upcoming oh, yeah. things you get to do and yeah, projects. Okay. But, um, but maybe dive into the science a little bit. The basic question is, what is a landslide? I think we think of, you know, there's landslides and rock falls and thinking about those differences and, and what you study specifically. Um, but we're going to focus really on landslides, I guess. Yeah, good question, of course, to start with. Uh, a landslide is a word that describes a wide range of gravity-driven slope movements. And um, that can be, like you said, rock falls, mm -hmm. mudslides. Um, th these can be uh, on land or underwater. Uh, they can be combinations of rock and soil, water. So it's a, a wide-ranging, uh, gravity-driven slope movement. Would, um, would avalanches, I mean, that's not something we deal with in Kentucky, but would are avalanches considered yes. in that? Yes, they are. Yeah, and the physics are kind of the, the same. The processes are mm -hmm. similar. Mm -hmm. yeah. So we can get into some of the mechanics a, a little bit if we want to. But So yeah, landslides include things like rock falls, debris flows, mudslides. Uh, you've probably heard the term creep. So um, all of those things. Um, sometimes you hear landslides described as slope failures. That works as well. Uh, you can get into the details of what failure means, but, but you hear that term quite often. Uh, sometimes you hear mass wasting. Mm. Right? Mass wasting is also the same thing. It's, it's kind of a blanket term for uh, gravity-driven slope movement. Landslides can occur very slowly, like creep does, or they can, you know, millimeters per year, or they can occur quite quickly, um, you know, kilometers per hour, meters per second type of, type of velocities. What causes all this? What causes landslides? All right, good question. Um, so generally, a slope will fail, or rock and soil will move down slope when uh, the strength of that sloping material, or uh, you know, soil, rock, or some combination of soil or rock, is overcome um, by s stresses or forces imposed on that material. So we can say a stable slope is one that balances these forces. Right, it balances um, the inherent strength versus any any um, let's say compressive forces that are that are acting on that. So we call those driving forces sometimes. So as a non-scientist, I'm guessing the gravity, of course, is one of the main forces that uh, plays into this and causes landslides. Is there any other sort of forces that cause them? Yep, there's 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 other forces. Um, in, in the geotechnical world, these are often described as stresses. Right, and same with in, in geology too. So, you know, stress is on rock, so that's a, a force per unit area, and the same thing is happening with soil and rock on a slope. But uh, yes, gravity, poor water pressure is a, a key driver here with with landslides. So you increase poor water pressure, that's a driving force that decreases uh, stability. Um, you may have heard of factor safety. Uh, a lot of engineers talk about factor of safety. It's a model, right, an equation that, that calculates, uh, theoretically, right, uh, stability of a slope. Factor of safety less than one 
is unstable, factor of safety greater than one, theoretically is stable. And all factor of safety is is a, a ratio of what we call uh, uh, resistance to persistence, so the strength to uh, the forces that are acting on the slope. Key kind of mechanical, what we call soil mechanics concepts that, that are most important to landslides are uh, effective stress and shear strength. Effective stress is the type of stress that's uh, just acting on the grains themselves, like, like the soil skeleton itself. And so the best example for us, because most of our landslides are rainfall triggered, when, you ha when it rains, that increases the pore water pressure, that decreases the effective stress on the grains, right? So you no longer have like grain-to-grain -grain contact, basically, and that, that causes instability. Your strength goes down when that happens. I mean, that, that's essentially what, what happens, and that's kind of the conceptual model, particularly with uh, saturated soils, right? And, and the idea that when it rains, pore water pressure goes up, soils are saturated, these are compressive forces, stuff starts to move down slope. Yeah. yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. So in Kentucky, what, you know, why do we need a landslide geologist in Kentucky? I mean, what's the impact of landslides in this state? What makes, are we special compared to other states or, you know, what, what's going on here, I guess? Yeah, it's, it's, we're not special. Uh, Im impact of landslides is quite significant. I mean, if you're talking socioeconomic impact, um, you know, direct cost of landslides here, upwards of $20 million. Yeah. Um, that's damage to roads, um, damage to homes, destroyed homes, mm -hmm. uh, destroyed pieces of roads. Um, and landslides occur in all 50 states, right? They do occur in all 50 states. To your point, yeah, it's high impact. Um, and it's important to sort of differentiate direct costs versus uh, indirect costs, which mm -hmm. we don't have a good handle on. Um, direct costs even, like I said, $20 million, that's kind of a back of the envelope calculation. But uh, indirect costs, things like property value, road closures, litigation costs, like it's a lot. Yeah, yeah. And uh, we, no one really has a good handle on that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, having someone that um, can try to get a handle on socioeconomic impacts is I think is important, but also a handle on on the hazard and how that will affect risk and how people perceive that risk. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about you know the different types of landslides, particularly in Kentucky, what we what we can expect in Kentucky based on where we live and um, and maybe just different types of landslides yeah, overall. Yeah, but that's a good one because we, we mentioned at the beginning rock falls, creed, yeah. mudslides. So those are all considered types of landslides. Sometimes you could sometimes it's just called classes of landslide, and those t a lot of those commonly heard and used terms stem from a classification that was developed by Varnes in like 1978. Then Cruden and Varnes. Uh, improved that classification in uh, 1996. Landslide classification is stems from the type of material involved, so rock, soil, combination of rock and soil, and its velocity for the oh, most part. Yeah. So um, rock, mud, clay, gravel, debris, ice, you mentioned, um, and 
how that moves and how fast it moves dictates slide type. And there's some debate in this area, uh, right, sort of nitpicky, like nomenclature type of uh, debate and discussion about classifying these terms, but the Varnes, the Cruden-Varnes classification system is pretty well accepted and it's pretty simple, and so most geologists like to use it. But it matters because there's a lot of confusion among, among classified names sometimes, right? Um, diverse terminology, you know, um, for one, but then also engineers and geologists are sort of maybe using different terms for the same thing sometimes. As um, usual. The public, <laughs> you know, it's quite easy to, for the public to maybe get confused on, on names of this or names of that. So um, that's all, that's no one's like you know, fault. It's just a, a way to, to just to let us know that land tides are a complex phenomena and can be quite complicated. It's not just a, it's not a simple process to figure mm -hmm. out. So, um, but the, the classifying them does matter and understanding type matters and the more you do with type matters because it helps us understand hazard and risk a little bit more. If we know there are mostly, let's say, let's call them thin translational landslides in Kentucky, which just means sort of thin planar landslides, right? Just imagine soil and rock sliding down a, a slope, just sort of straight, flat. That's different than a long run out high velocity kind of mud flow. And so that, that, that difference matters for hazard and how dangerous it may be, how, how at risk you know, people may be. Maybe step back a second and talk about, about like the causes and the triggers of landslides. Oh yeah, that's, that's something to, to flush out. So we, we may, I mentioned some of these soil mechanics causing landslides and what we know about, about the physics there, but um, there's lots of factors that play into slope stability, right? So what's the bedrock geology? What are the soil types? Um, what uh, is there past movement that's occurred on this slope? Um, um, what, uh, you know, what's the hill slope hydrology? What's the water doing on this steep slope? That can be tough to figure out. And so what you have is um, an evolving slope stability that can range from meteorological scale, right, a storm event, to geologic time scales, right? The, all these things kind of acting together on the slope that it just may take a long time for the slope to move. And you didn't mention it, but that would also include like vegetation and trees and stuff like that too. Vegetation absolutely matters, right? Yeah. Root strength certainly yeah. matters. So all these things play a role in as far as like conditions that may influence landslides. So you have these like, you know, your stresses and, and uh, your shear strength of material, um, friction angle and cohesion and other things, but then you have these like broader like uh, things like geology and, and uh, vegetation and stuff that, that play a role. And so sometimes you hear people say, oh, you can separate causes and triggers. And that's, that's true, like you, you can do that. And sometimes it's simple to tell, you know, kind of explain things in that way. So a cause may just be, um, you know, weak bedrock geology and weak soils. And the trigger may be, uh, 
this rainfall event. Oh yeah, or you a know, seismic event, or, or a seismic yeah. event. So yeah, yeah we, sh we shouldn't exclude earthquake-triggered landslides here. Yeah, because they're a big deal, um, mm -hmm. not in Kentucky really, but but around the world. Mm -hmm. um, you know, places like uh, New Zealand and China and Nepal, right, just have massive earthquakes that trigger a lot of big landslides. And it's qu quite often in those events, it's not the earthquake ground shaking that kills people, it's the landslides that kill people. Right, yeah, yeah. But yeah, it causes a sort of the setup, the conditions for setup, and then triggers the thing that... Yeah. I know you'd mentioned like, you know, like lots of rainfall and earthquakes and then I guess of volcanoes if you were in an area that had volcanoes. Volcanoes too. I was wondering about like in forest fires would have would affect all that somewhat too because like if the vegetation and all that affects vegetation and trees affect the stability then like if you had an area that had a bunch of forest fires which I feel like we're seeing more of now that would probably affect uh, you know the, the strength of the slopes. Absolutely it does. Um, U.S. Geological Survey puts a lot of resources into post-fire debris flow hazard assessment in California, uh, Washington, Oregon, Colorado. Um, so those slopes like in California, when there's a big, big fire, um, they have very different vegetation cover oh. like than we yeah, have, right? So just, you know, we don't have to get into this too much, but like fire happens out there, it burns like this like, you know, really scrubby brush, and then you've got soil that gets baked because of the fire. Then a rainstorm comes. It, the rain, you know, hits the surface that's been burned, and it because of the fire, the soil's got kind of been cooked, and water just starts to run down. Mm -hmm. But as it does that, it starts to entrain all this material, and they, they, they become very destructive uh, debris flows. Yeah. Because and even in this area, though, we don't have the same vegetation of California or anywhere like that, but there's been recent fires in, like, the Red River Gorge. Mm -hmm. so that's only about, you know, an hour east of Lexington. A couple of years ago, there was big fires around Pigeon Forge and Gatlinburg. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, that is something to think about. I mean, I haven't seen the, the post-fire debris flow magnitude like they have in the West here. It's certainly possible. The climate's changing. Like, th these are things to think about. Uh, we just have a lot of big, much bigger trees. Our forest floor cover is much different. Like we've got thick, you know, leaf litter cover. Uh, we have you know, all these seasons, and so it's, it's just a bit different in that regard. But um, certainly, something to think about as far as you know, types of slides and and causes and triggers. From what I, so I think a lot of people think of kind of these big, bigger catastrophic events very quick, you know, when a landslide actually happens, but we have quite a bit of slow creep type landslides in Kentucky, don't we? Yeah, absolutely. Particularly yeah. in northern Kentucky, I think. Yep. But, um, can you talk a little bit about those versus yep. the other type? Yep. <laughs> so creep is a type of flow, actually, and uh, it's a very slow moving landslide, and so you don't, you don't see it move with the naked eye, right? You don't see soil and rock just barreling down the hill, you see effects of movement uh, in terms of tilted telephone poles, curved tree trunks, mm -hmm. bowed walls in your home, displaced fence lines, st stuff like that you yeah. notice on yeah. your property. So yeah, creep is uh, 
certainly concern and uh, yeah very common here with, with thick thick soils thicker weaker soils definitely mm -hmm. you see a lot of creep in northern kentucky um you know driveways starting to become displaced to very slowly over time stuff like that yeah is that related to i mean it's a fairly hilly topography plus shale you know bedrock and that sort of thing or is there yeah, Something yeah. Something else going on. Well, in northern Kentucky, there's a few bad actors uh, with regard to the bedrock geology that's influencing landslides. You have, uh, yeah, a lot of shaley bedrock units up there, high clay content mm -hmm. that have low shear strengths. And the soils that develop on those rocks, the coat formation in particular, are also very weak. Yeah. And so um, you don't get necessarily the kind of long run out um, high velocity kinds of slides but you get creep up there and uh, yeah entire I've seen entire neighborhoods in northern Kentucky where st streets of homes have big problems backyards starting to slip away the foundation of the home cracking basement wall bowed out windows not not closing correctly doors not shutting right mm -hmm. so those are all things homeowners can be aware of if they think, you know, they're maybe dealing with creep. Yeah, yeah. Creep is creepy. Yeah, creep. <laughs> <laughs> can those it's a weird word because it is a, it's a type of flow. That's how yeah, it's classified. It's kind of a flow, yeah. Can those, do you see those churning? If you have a large brain event in that area, can those churn more catastrophic? or? Yeah, they absolutely is can. Is that something that you see? Yes, of? we've seen it. Yeah. They absolutely can. Uh, creep can morph into a different type of landslide. Mm -hmm. Yep, that's that, that's quite common actually. Yeah, yeah, it can become something that you know runs out of the valley or or you know just barrels down the catchment if it yeah. gets you know totally saturated and it just lets loose. Yep. And and then all this goes into sort of the direct and indirect costs again because you have like you have the creep on the the roads like you mentioned which I guess would be like the city or the county or the state whoever is in co control of the road and then you have the homeowners that have the creep with the the you know the bowed basement walls or fences or driveways or anything like that and I, I and we should probably mention that in a lot of places the basic homeowners policy has an exclusion for earth movement damages so yeah we could do a whole episode on this landslide insurance it's not does that exist it doesn't really yeah, it exist in your normal homeowners policies there mm -hmm. are some exotic high-end uh, expensive policies you can get that may include it a, a gravity driven phenomena that would be an insurance policy but n normally no oh wow huh. and it's a problem yeah well, but usually there's actually a specific exclusion. Yeah, right. <laughs> so instead of there being an inclusion, there's a specific <laughs> like, exclusion for any sort of earth <laughs> movements. And this this yeah. also gets at why classification of landslide type is important. Mm -hmm. uh, because what people are calling landslides sometimes might not, not be. It could be a flood damage. Uh, or what they're calling a flood damage might actually be a landslide. And the insurance actuary isn't really sure. Um, so it's that distinction matters. Um, but another big reason that landslides aren't insured is because we don't have the hazard and risk data that insurance actuaries can look at to come up with policy. Earthquake hazard maps, right? Those nationwide earthquake hazard maps USGS puts out, 
uh, that tell you probability of an earthquake occurring in this amount of time, right? An insurance actuary can be like, yeah, make a policy for this because I can look at this data, however coarse it may be. Mm-hmm. Landslides, we don't have that. It's such a localized phenomenon, right? Why did this slope fail, but 100 yards over here didn't, and same rainstorm, same every, everything else. So it's a little bit more complicated, and so the data is just not there. Uh, that's one thing we're kind of working to build toward is, is get more data out there, more susceptibility maps out there, more yeah. inventory, stuff like that to help help with that problem. So in Kentucky, it's like kind of buyer beware, unfortunately. Yeah. And um, it's relief and mitigation and um, is can be a long road for people and it's complicated and it can be quite tragic if your home's really damaged. Mm-hmm. Do you want to mention anything about your research related to the July 2022 flooding in eastern Kentucky? Yep. Um, so we... We conducted a rapid reconnaissance um, field excursion to document landslides associated with the July 2022 flood event in eastern Kentucky. So about a month after the flooding, we went out and just documented all the landslides we could. That pretty much meant driving driving the roads and and taking pictures and getting uh, GPS locations of pretty much everything we saw. That includes your small nuisance kinds of landslides, something small that came down on the road, or maybe didn't even come down on the road, to quite large debris flows, you know, 700 feet long, channelized debris flow deposits. We documented over 1,000 landslides triggered by that storm event. Um, To my knowledge, there was no one killed or hurt from the landslides. I mean, the flooding killed a lot of people we know, um, very, very tragic. But the landslides uh, caused a lot of damage, but didn't hurt anybody, as far as I know. But when you have a a rainstorm like that, um, landslide deposits and the flood deposits get sometimes get intermingled and are can be hard to untangle because uh, you have a lot of debris flows. The valleys are flooded. There's just sediment everywhere. Um, uh, and just to give everyone a background, and I know you probably haven't looked at this in a while, but what kind of rainflow were we talking about? Uh, there was upwards of 16 inches of rain that fell over the course of four days, and most of that fell actually in two days in most of the hard-hit areas. And how would you— Very intense. How would you describe that area? It's eastern Kentucky. It's steep topography, narrow valleys, steep slopes, um, a lot of you know that much water there's nowhere for it to go in in an intense rainstorm like that so it's a uh, yeah it's, it's steep terrain you drove around whatever landslides you could see you all you all would document and then you i'm sure you had like emergency managers that reached out to you or city mayors or someone like that's like hey come over here check out this landslide yep um what were other ways that you all sort of found the landslides and documented them there were a few emergency managers who were uh, yeah, helpful, appreciative. We were kind of documenting these things. Um, another way we did map some slides related to that storm event was through a remote sensing technique cool. called NDVI. It's normalized uh, differencing vegetation index. It's basically a remote sensing technique that allows us to look at um, vegetation that gets stripped away from the hills after an event like this. 
So you look at two different ages of uh, satellite imagery. Kind of a before and after. A before and after. So yeah, you can analysis. look for these like yeah. scars on the hills, <laughs> basically. <Yeah. laughs> and uh, we, we did that. And um, that was one way we found out about some of the bigger slides that occurred that weren't on the road. Because if it wasn't on the road, we didn't, we didn't get it. Um, but this was one way where we could find out about some of those. And so that worked quite well. That's some, that's some work I'd like to maybe continue doing. But um, so that was another way. And this was just, uh, like I said, it was a reconnaissance effort, but we think it will be helpful in the long run as we do more with inventory and event-based inventory, right? Matching landslides with known failure dates to storm events and how we learn more about um, susceptibility you know, in rainfall thresholds and things like that with landslide occurrence. All right, yeah. so I think we've got a pretty good overview of sort of like KGS does, but like sort of looking broader, like who else is out there doing stuff when it comes to landslides? That's good. Um, like I mentioned, the U.S. Geological Survey has a landslide hazards program. Um, everyone who works there is out west, Colorado, California, mm -hmm. Washington, Oregon. I think this is still the case. They have one person, Doug, you've met Francis Ashland. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's in the Landside Hazards Program. He's in D.C. He's in, well, he's in Reston, Virginia. He's the one. He covers the East Coast. One person. One person. So that's why the state role is, is so important here. Yeah, yeah. Um, the USGS budget, I took some notes here. USGS budget for the Landside Hazards programs, about $11 million a year. And that's actually, it was just increased. Oh, wow, okay. Uh, for reasons we can, we can talk about here in a sec. But uh, before that, I think it was about $8 million a year. Um, contrast that to the Earthquake Hazards Program budget, $100 million a year. Yeah, well, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm not like choosing sides or anything, but like <laughs> landslides do a lot of damage and kill more people annually than they get fought. I mean, as, as maybe the, that, that's not a fair way to look at it, but the economic impact of landslides out west much higher than it is in the east. Is that true? I mean, there's there's denser population in the east, seems like, and pretty pretty topo a lot of topographic relief in the. In the east yeah uh, that's a good question on the economic impact sort of spread across the country I mean I know like nationally landslide we, we said 20 million in Kentucky right yeah I think nationally it's one to two billion mm -hmm. a year um, but that's a good question about east versus west or yeah I mean if you're looking at lives lost it's, it probably is higher out, out west yes you have like that is true. so those big huge events Right. seem to occur out west so that's most important i would yes but of course but yeah one person to cover. <laughs> <laughs> of course like you said i mean state surveys are doing a lot of yeah. heavy lifting and, and, and work like you said like the the magnitude of the landsliding is different yeah there are yeah. bigger yeah. slides out there and yeah um so what else was I going to say about that? Oh, but so this leads to this. This leads to why I mentioned the the uh, hazards caucus briefing I went to in oh, DC. Yeah. Um, in January of 2021, Congress passed the National Landslide Reduction Act, signed into law. This thing was in the cogwheel of 
bureaucracy in D.C. for years, right? J pretty much after OSO. Mm -hmm. And it finally got passed. And so... Um, was your testimony? Well, I, I kind of <laughs> like to think I had a little, a little part. He played a tiny role. Good job. <laughs> I had a suit on in an office building. You wore a suit. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. <laughs> you can put a geologist in a My suit. My suit was too big. I do remember that. I yeah. had a really bad fitting suit. <laughs> I was like, what is this? I saw a picture. I was like, what yeah. is that? Yeah. Anyway, so I'll just, I'll just list some main goals here of this, uh, this new Landside Reduction Act. Landside has a reduction program, understanding hazards and, hazards and risk, reducing losses, protecting communities, establishing an interagency coordinating committee on landside hazards comprised of USGS and other federal agencies, deliver a national strategy for landside loss and reduction, so that includes response, coordination, things like that, uh, develop a publicly accessible national landside database of landside hazard and risk, then expand debris flow warning with uh, NOAA and the National Weather Service. So there's a lot of things they want to tackle, and it, that's not going to happen without the help of states. So there's going to be a big component where I think states can uh, apply for some grant money and, and help, uh, help with this work. Um, one thing there, the National Landside Inventory, I've actually started to help work on. So, you know, kind of nationalizing and normalizing an inventory database. Now, um, you can kind of think of this, Doug, as like um, what the geologic mappers have tried to been go yeah, going through for, this for this years. This all sounds very familiar. So geologic mappers have to deal yeah. with how do we make our attributes match across state borders? Mm -hmm. We're capturing this and we're capturing that. How can we come together with terminology? And right? Yeah. So we're kind of trying to do that with landside databases and what is the essential information to keep and mm -hmm. everyone should have what's special what could be a different table in a database structure yeah i mean the the geology doesn't end at the state boundary obviously so right to be able to to ask you know what what's going on in this region which obviously would include more than one state that's important both in geologic mapping and probably landslide data so yeah there's a it it just sometimes you get mired in these discussions right. oh you know, but but Cause um, yeah, because you have the GIS component as well, points and lines and right. polygons, and is it yeah. derived from LIDAR, is it not derived from LIDAR, yeah. all, these, all these things. Um, and it's all going to go back to the importance of everyone using the same definitions yes. for the words that you use, which is a point you made earlier, so everyone's going to agree what a mm -hmm. rock fall it yeah. is, absolutely. what a slump yeah. is, what a debris flow is, what creep is. Yeah, so. yeah. absolutely, yep. Um, so you can go you can go on the U.S. Geological Survey's Landside Hazards Program website now and see a national landside inventory map. Mm. We we contribute to that. KGS contributes to that. Um, about half of the states in the country uh, have a landside inventory. I don't know if all of those are have contributed to this map. You can look at, but um, so these are mostly points. Of mostly where points. Point well, there's some polygons. Some polygons. Some, polygons, yeah. some lines. Um, that may represent like a debris flow. Yeah, but these are known events or known, known sites. Known events, yeah. existing landslides with varying levels of confidence. Yeah. So it's a start, right? It's a very patchworky looking kind of map, mm -hmm. but it's a start. Now the kind of next step is like uh, doing the attribute stuff and sort of yeah, getting things together there. Stuff, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
Yeah. Oh. Oh. I was one one other thing I mentioned the the budgets um, state surveys spend roughly this is a number I heard a while ago about a million dollars a year on land sites, so it's but it's all over the board like I said you know states are doing different levels of work with regards yeah. to land sites so um, I think you know one you know we have this you have the inventories of of known sites and things like that but. Um, one of the things you've been working on too, if you talk more about this, is susceptibility and risk. So, m making maps to show where where you might be at higher risk for a landslide. Can you talk a little yep. bit about that work? And yep. So this is uh, work we've been doing the past a little over three years now. Um, we were awarded a grant through FEMA, and it's facilitated through Kentucky Emergency Management uh, to model and map landslide susceptibility and risk for several counties. We started off with five counties in eastern Kentucky. Uh, so landslide susceptibility can be defined a lot of different ways, but really it's a classification of likelihood of landslide occurrence, mm -hmm. however you want to crunch the numbers. Um, so we, we, we approach it with a statistical-based method where we look at the inventory is very important. Okay. We, we look at the, we use the inventory to harvest hill slope characteristics that in turn tell us uh, about other places on the slopes where landslides are likely to occur. So it's called a statistics-based susceptibility model because we use uh, existing geomorphic parameters and hill slope parameters uh, of existing landslides to tell us that. So you're looking at what the ground surface looks like, what are the characteristics of what mm -hmm. the ground is, which is geomorphology, and then that's right, and then making an assessment on other places that don't have those events occurring or that you haven't cataloged that, yeah. or yeah, exactly, or look very similar to mm -hmm. that spot and say, hey, these are this is a we can call this uh, high susceptibility now, yeah, because right? yeah, so. And then you classify susceptibility to, to sort of digestible terms, low, moderate, and high. And we think our first iteration of this, it turned out really well. We made five maps for five different counties, and they turned out good. We got a couple papers out on it. Um, emergency managers, planners, all kinds of stakeholders, we hope, put these to good use. Yeah. Then the risk part is separate or sort of separate also uh, you know equally challenging so landslide risk is like modeling the probability of adverse consequences from the hazard so it, it's, it's a very different looking map mm. um, because risk is risk is the intersection of vulnerability consequence and the hazard itself so the hazard itself is the landslide that barrels down the slope and what's in the way of it? Are there houses, are there roads, are there people? You know, what's at risk? And so how do you, how do you combine vulnerability and potential consequence with, with our susceptibility maps? Yeah. And the trick there, you know, the challenging part is we don't know a lot. This, our susceptibility modeling approach doesn't really tell you a lot about landslide type or run out or behavior, right? It's just a geomorphic assessment, kind of, like I said. So 
we don't really differentiate the debris flows from the creeps, if that makes sense. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. In, in the yeah. risk assessment. And, of course, we know that matters. Like a debris flow is much more dangerous than creep. Mm -hmm. So anyway, um, but we did, we did an assessment of risk and included uh, economic value of land. We included roads um, and kind of made a socioeconomic risk map. We used rail railroads as well. We kind of intersected those uh, assets with our susceptibility modeling to come up with risk maps. Okay. So we're continuing that now with about eight more counties in eastern Kentucky. You're doing yeah, you're doing these county by county. Mm -hmm. We're doing uh, it ad district by ad district now. Okay. Oh, area yeah, development area districts. Devel yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. which is a conglomeration of counties, right? Conglomeration of counties. But yeah, they're usually pretty similar topography and characteristics. Yep. Which is important for landslides because you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like uh, you know. landslides in Pike County are gonna be a little bit. Well, the contributing factors to landslides, say, in way eastern Kentucky, maybe a little bit different than say um, Fulton County. Fulton County, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, way western Kentucky, or even like uh, the Knobs region somewhere, oh, yeah. Where, yeah. Where, where there are a lot of landslides that you know may initiate in the Black Shale or something, mm -hmm. you know. So we're working on that, and that's been great. Um, to that's how I kind of saw my work here going. It's like yeah, I started out with inventory stuff and seeing some slides, and then I was doing the uh, specific field monitoring stuff, right? But then th this is where I wanted to go for sure, because you know states were working on susceptibility and risk, and I was like going to GSAs and stuff and seeing people get into that world. I'm like, all right, this this is where we need to go. And um, so, like, I definitely owe a lot also to, like, other state survey people who are doing landslide stuff that I have met over the years, people in Virginia, Oregon, Washington. I, like, pretty much copied them. Like, I'm emulating, yeah. you know, emulating a lot of the work <laughs> they do. And yeah. it's like, because the landslide hazard community is not that big, Yeah. you know? Yeah. And so it's all really great people doing amazing work. So I just latched onto that and, like, kind of built it here we have hung out with you guys at gsa this fun group fun group yeah, yeah definitely yeah. <laughs> um, before we move on you said you have five counties mapped uh do you remember those five counties mm -hmm. johnson floyd martin mcgoffin and pike are finished those are available um on our landside information map service mm -hmm. so you can go to the map service and turn on and off those layers. You can make them transparent. You can overlay them on an amazing LIDAR hillshade and look at landslide susceptibility. Turn on the roads, turn on aerial photography. It's really powerful. Uh, if you want an old school uh, map to hang on your wall, we have those published as well. We have a published report on that work as well. So lots of, lots of ways to get at that info. That's great. Yeah, yeah. Then... Um, some of your other research is it's kind of emerging UAV. We have Matt's a, a really good UAV pilot. <laughs> it's been <laughs> shaky, but if we're getting there, um, we have. Do we talk about this when Bill was the guest? I forget the drone. Any drone stuff? I don't. I don't remember. Yeah. Um, anyway, we have a drone. We have a lidar scanner that is attached to the drone. It's pretty cool. So we can fly over a wooded slope and end up with a pretty amazingly detailed uh, 
bare earth digital elevation model. Even with the trees and everything mm-hmm. in the summer. Or you could take or off the trees. Yeah, that's amazing. So the idea there is that you have the drone, you fly it multiple times, you do some differencing with the elevation data that you produce, and you can see if there's been any slope movement from the differencing. Mm-hmm. And so you can get in some kind of assessment on your rate of movement. So we're doing a project right now at a Maxi Flats in Fleming County, which is a nuclear waste disposal facility. Mm-hmm. You'd be comforted to know there's some landslides out at a nuclear waste disposal oh, facility. Oh, that's great. That's <laughs> where you come in. So, <laughs> so anyway, we're, we're working on that. Um, yeah, drone pilot. I never thought I'd be a drone pilot, but I am, and it's it's cool. It's fun, but it yeah, it's there's a lot a lot goes into it. A lot goes on, and yeah, a lot a lot of stuff yeah. <laughs> crashing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, from what I understand, everybody, if you're doing this long enough, you're gonna crash a drone. Yeah, kind of goes with the. I'm in I'm in the club now. Yeah, yeah. definitely. <laughs> what else, you all? Um, yeah. I don't know. I mean that that's a pretty good coverage unless you can think of something else um i'll say this is our 20th episode yes yeah i was gonna say that before that's um make a good guess for the 20th episode i was gonna appreciate it i was gonna say matt's done a great job of of hosting this show for 20 episodes yeah i think that's a good milestone yeah Yeah, that's great i Um, I look forward to the next 20 yeah for sure i mean uh doug i roped you into it and um it's been great. Sarah is not here, unfortunately, yeah. for the 20th, but I roped, roped her into it, too. And I, now, yeah. we've, now we're roping Rebecca into it. Rebecca in here. Done um, a great job, yeah. Um, so appreciate you all. We have a lot of good ideas for we do. upcoming episodes. Yeah. So I'm excited. But, yeah. Um, but this is great. Thanks for talking about your work. and um, Love it. Yeah, I hope people like listening to Landslides. Right. Yeah. yeah. Thanks for having me. Yeah. It was fun. Thanks, Rebecca. Yeah, thanks for doing it. Yeah. See you all. All right. See Bye. you. Bye. This podcast was produced by the Kentucky Geological Survey at the University of Kentucky. Special thanks to Rebecca Frazier for technical support. If you have ideas for the show, email mcrawford at uky.edu. Thanks for listening. <laughs>